Hello, everybody. My name is Barker. I'm one of the three hosts of Roll Up and Die, your definitive RPG podcast. And I just wanted to take a moment to welcome you to the first episode. Um, we set it to release on Friday the 13th. Uh, that's in March of 2015. And so, of course, it wouldn't be a proper Friday the 13th without some technical difficulties. So you're going to hear some sound issues. Uh, you're going to hear some computer background noise, uh, a lot of background noise. I had to raise some of the lower mics up a bit. Uh, anyway, audio jargon aside, uh, this is our first podcast, and we're really excited to improve it, and we're just psyched that you are here listening to it. So uh, without further ado, welcome to this new project, which we hope lasts a long, long time. Welcome to Roll Up and Die. It's Friday, March 13th, 2015, and you're listening to episode one of Roll Up and Die. I would say like the introduction I did the amount of the number of podcasts that I listen to like um, most of them start out with like them just kind of shooting the shit at the beginning and then yeah. they do the whole like all right well today the topic of discussion blah 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 or the the snack that we're reviewing is blah 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 or whatever so <laughs> <laughs> seriously my favorite podcast is Mike and Tom eat snacks it's wonderful nice speaking of snacks I had a hot and ready today for the first time I know you well see this is something we, we could be talking about in the podcast talking about your first hot and ready experience hey, Matt, what, what? Matt what if I told you you were in the podcast oh, right now oh shit uh, <laughs> happy Friday gamers welcome to the premiere episode of roll up and die your definitive RPG podcast my name is Barker and my name is Matt from A Fistful of Dice. Oh, you plugged your channel. Uh, be a better game master. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Alex, a.k.a. Captain Gothnog, and you can find me on YouTube as well. So how was that hot and ready, Barker? <laughs> you know what? Hot and ready, Little Caesars, exactly how you described it. It's a $5 pizza that tastes like it's a $7 pizza. It's exactly. It's just it's just slightly better than the price would lead you to believe. Because of that, it's... For the ad campaign right there. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I want Little Caesars. That tagline is perfect. It's slightly better than you think it's going to be. Little yeah. Caesars. No, the thing with it is, is that, like... You, you're, you're like, okay, this pizza's $5. How good could it really be? And then you take a bite and you're like... Eh, not bad. And so it's it's almost better because it's so cheap and because it's not that good. For because sure. it's only slightly better than you're expecting. And so every time it just is a little bit better than your expectations. But that's life, isn't it? You know, that, yeah, if it's you true. Have, if you have low expectations, oh. you're never disappointed. <laughs> so I think we could all learn a little something from the Little Caesars Hot and Ready model. If, if you If you have $5 expectations – and you get $7 results, life is great. <laughs> That's Little Caesars, low <laughs> expectations equals high results. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah I, I got a hot and ready yesterday for the nice. Provokers game that didn't happen, and I, I polished it off today for lunch, so I just had hot and ready for like three meals in a row for $5. Well, $5.99 over here, which is nice crap, but... Yeah, see, and my wife, actually, she was wonderful enough to pick me up the hot and ready on her way home. Oh, there you go. 40 minutes out of town, so it was cold, like you said. Dude, cold, hot and ready. Oh, awesome. So good. Did she get you any crazy bread? No, I told her I didn't want any hot and ready crazy bread. And I I do not trust the hot and ready buffalo wings. No, I would would strongly urge against the buffalo wings, but the, the cold, crazy bread, there's something about it, man. I don't know what it is. There's just something about it. Is it paleo? 
I don't think I don't think that our ancestors were eating crazy bread, but you could probably make a case for it if you tried hard enough. I think so. I think I think if it, like I would like to discover time travel and then go back in time and invent crazy bread just <laughs> and then come back here so it would be part of my paper like, that. All right, caveman, here's some wheat, here's some here's some flour, here's some <laughs> water. <laughs> we're going to MSG, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're we're going to put a little garlic, we're going to put a little oil on here, a little butter, and uh, there you go, paleo. Uh, so, contrary to what you might believe, if you're listening, we are actually a, an RPG podcast. They thought it was a hot and ready podcast. Yeah. They were like, food time. <laughs> food time with Barker, Matt, and Captain Duckman. <laughs> no. We actually uh, have an RPG topic based on the day that you, uh, the listener, uh, should be listening to this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire it over to Captain Gothnog over there. Uh, in this digital space that I'm pointing at, where he's actually not over here. I'm so used to doing video that I'm pointing at an actual space. There he is. No, I'm not. He's not there. Okay, so, but, uh, but you can... Just point, just point to the northeast and you're... you're, you're, you're <laughs> it's in general direction, yeah. The reason we sort of chose this subject was because uh, it occurred to us that we're, we're going to be broadcasting this podcast on Friday the 13th, so, uh, of course, that, that, that just conjures up images of you know, superstitions, people who have, you know, uh, these, uh, who, who genuinely still get nervous about things like, you know, doing something important on Friday the 13th or, you know, walking under a ladder, or, you know, a black cat crossing your path, you know, what sort of omens and portents and, and, uh, prophecies and so forth, you know, what, what role can those play in, in, in your role playing game? And, uh, it opens up a lot of possibilities for things like, you know, foreshadowing for, uh, for plot hooks, for um, just kind of enriching the enriching the world, making it feel more lived in, mm-hmm. uh, because pe- you know when you see someone following these superstitions, it feel it just it, it's just you know more you can add to your setting. The um, when it comes to superstitions, you mentioned something in, in the in our little Facebook dojo uh, that we have going, the little message just between the three of us. You mentioned like there's a huge difficulty in creating like signs and portents and and superstitions because when you're playing a game like Dungeons and Dragons and you tell players that there's a dragon that lives on that hill, they immediately say, oh yeah, let's go kill it. Is it possible to give, in a fantasy setting, to give like D&D players uh, a prophecy that is a lie? Yeah, and I I don't don't think it's... It's necessarily a lie even, but it could be some sort of misdirection or something that is not what it seems. And, I mean, uh, when you you get right down to it, like a prophecy or an omen or something like that could even be, you know, as simple as uh, a mission that they're given. So if you take an example, like in in a, I ran a game on Saturday called Cloak and Dagger where the members of a thieves guild are basically told this guy betrayed the guild and you got to go kill him. So they go over there. For those who are listening, sorry, for those who are listening, Matt actually ran this on YouTube. So you can actually go to A Fistful of Dice, his YouTube channel, and see this. And I'm I'm about to to give a huge spoiler for this game. But um, they come to find out that the the mission they were given was to kill this, this rogue thief, but he's actually being mind-controlled by the nobleman um, 
who he was supposed to kill because the nobleman had a mind flayer skull and was was you know controlling his mind and controlling his actions and that was sort of a little bit of a twist there and I think you could do the same thing with a prophecy where you know you do, Barker taking your example the wise men say there's a dragon up on the hill and they go up there and it's it's not a dragon it's actually a it's actually a, a construct uh, that the goblins have made that looks like a dragon that they're using to control the other bigger monstrous tribes that live on the mountain and so they're basically bringing the ogres and the orcs and stuff to heal making them believe that there's this dragon when in fact it's like a big machine that the goblins are are controlling and so i i think that you can do the same kind of thing with a with a prophecy very cool idea yeah don't steal that one damn it i might use that i might use that <laughs> <laughs> no steal away please i was really banking on it <laughs> okay so if you're going to use like an omen or a portent how would that fit in like a horror game I haven't really run any strictly well a- apart from from you know Call of Cthulhu. That's like uh, the most horror game you can play in, right? Like that's well, yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> well, I, mean, <laughs> I don't I don't own any guns. I do have an AR-15 in the back, but you know, other than that, I really don't have any guns. Well, I mean, Call, Call of Cthulhu is is a horror game, but it, you can I mean, the, my Call of Cthulhu stuff is fairly pulpy. Uh, and less less horror-y. I, w- I would argue, after having played in, in uh, several of Alex's Call of Cthulhu games, that they are fairly horrific, though. So yeah, I, 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 do, I do like me some horror. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you put omens and portents in your horror games, or do you save those for like the uh, the fantasy stuff? Oh no, no. You you. Uh, I think especially in a Cthulhu setting, you can have, you can really take advantage of 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 uh, portents and, and and omens because you know you you're dealing with some sort of Usually, an impending supernatural event of some kind, whether it's, you know, uh, summoning a uh, demon from beyond the stars, or uh, or waking, you know, the the great god Cthulhu, may he live forever. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, portents are, are are almost necessary for that sort of game because you want, you know, uh, you want people to be to see this coming. Because if if no one sees it coming, then you know everyone's just going about their day, and then the next day, you know, the apocalypse, poof, you know, and it's over. so that was sudden. If only someone had like a dream or a vision or something. Damn, well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and and if you look at Lovecraft's work, I mean, it's 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 full of these sort of. Uh, he made really good use of, of of dreaming as a as a way to foresee things or uh, kind of see things coming. There was a really great... Um, John Carpenter's done some really great kind of Cthulhu-esque uh, uh, movies. And uh, one of my favorites was Prince of Darkness. And I don't know if you, have, you, have you guys ever seen that? I have, I have never seen Prince of Darkness, but I love John oh, Carpenter, man. so I have no idea how I have not seen that. Oh, man, you've you got to see Prince of Darkness. All right, I'm, I'm watching it next weekend. This, this group, this group of, this group of uh, researchers go to this church where they found this really strange artifact in the basement. And they start, they start researching, and all of a sudden they start having these really weird dreams. But the dreams kind of come to them almost like a news broadcast where someone's filming outside the church, and uh, the announcer's talking, saying, "We're transmitting this to you from the year, you know, uh, 20, 2018 Where you know, and and basically they're, they're kind of trying to warn them that this this demon sort of breaks out of that of this uh, uh, this other dimension in the basement, uh-huh. and they, they they found a way to transmit. <laughs> This, this message back in time but it, it appears in their dreams so it was a really neat kind of uh, a really kind of neat play on the dream kind of prophecy that's awesome it, it, you know it, it was a scientific you know they used the 
I forget what it was, but the, essentially, they, yeah, they, they were sending these these signals back, but the only way they could be picked up was by your subconscious while you were dreaming. That's actually a really neat take on the whole idea of how like prophecies and, and visions and stuff like that even even work. That's really neat. I highly recommend it. I, I mean, I love all John Carpenter stuff, but that yeah. one is is a, a special place in my heart. Um, yeah, and and I, I agree that like. Uh, you know, prophecies and omens and things like that uh, definitely play a key role in any any decent uh, Call of Cthulhu campaign. Um, and I think that the very nature of like the the beings in a Call of Cthulhu game makes those prophecies completely up to interpretation because they're usually they usually make very little sense. You know, these are prophecies that are you know thousands of years old and are potentially not even from this planet or this plane of existence. And so, it, you know, the the prophecy itself almost becomes um, you know kind of a living, breathing thing within the campaign where the you know the players are sort of picking away at it, trying to figure out what exactly it means. And you know, oh, we finally know what this what this you know a a facet of the prophecy is and now we can kind of use context clues to figure out the rest and stuff like that so um i think it can be used to to really great effect there's some stuff that i can't really give away here matt but uh in the sir Celine game that you're playing in your character is really living out that prophetic story well, I know I was I was actually going to I was actually steering in that direction a little bit, Barker, and I was going to say, you know, your most recent uh, session of Sir Celine was entitled Visions, and my character Orin Bramble has had several visions throughout the campaign that are uh, that happen uh, while he's dreaming, and um, they're sort of these visions that that keep getting longer, and information is. Uh, added to it as I go and so it's almost like I'm kind of just starting to put the pieces together about what it all means and what it what the images that I'm seeing are so and see and that's perfect for me because that's exactly what I want that's how I want you to feel like oh you're getting little evidence here and there um, uh, leading up to kind of a bigger picture but the difficult part for me with that is it's difficult to plant these things without feeling like I am railroading the game. Well, I think the the very way you don't railroad the game is by doing exactly what you're doing, by adding little pieces to it, because then you don't have to have the entire vision or the entire prophecy bam, right there out in front of the players and you have this, now you have a commitment to, to see that through where you can kind of shift that vision and add little pieces to it as we go, because you know, you're kind of uh, taking our the direction that we choose for the campaign. You're taking that into consideration. So now that can play into the the prophecy or the vision. Well, that, it's funny because they actually make use of that. I don't know if either of you has, have, has read through uh, the uh, the D and D adventure campaign, uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen. Oh yeah, but oh, I started, yeah, you're I, right. I, yeah, I started running out from some people, and in in the adventure, they give you some um, some bonds for your characters. That, that 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 you can add to the new the new oh that's right yeah, yeah and and yeah and one of them involves you know the the idea of this prophetic dream where they where they 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 see these uh, uh, you know the, this apocalyptic scene of you know fire acid um, ice you know just all these horrible things and then they see these you know this these uh, uh, the all these sets of eyes and and uh, yeah. they, they feel compelled to go to green nest you know and that that's what taught me literally that adventure that you're talking about captain is that's what taught me that the you know if you have the big picture set 
at, you know, not the plot. I'm not talking about the big picture of the plot. I'm talking about kind of the big picture of this prophecy or of the setting. If you have it set as early as possible, you are going to be able to better plant that those bits of evidence on the path that your characters take. And they'll make more sense when that big picture just explodes in front of their faces. If you're just like throwing things out there in a vision or a prophecy or, you know, an omen, they see an omen, but you don't know what it means yet. And and you, you don't take the time to actually figure out what that omen means as a whole, then you're going to be going back and like having to retcon stuff. You're going to have to be picking up pieces and saying, oh, uh, yeah, remember what I said back there? Change that to this because this is a better thing to fit in. This is the better puzzle piece that will fit inside the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at, yeah. The, at the same time, though, I, I I don't think people should be afraid to throw things like that into the game without knowing exactly uh, where it's going to lead or what it's going to amount to. Um, because, I mean, you take a show like like Battlestar Galactica and, and Barker. I know you haven't finished it, but, you know, they... they wait, hold up, wait, what? <laughs> You're not going to... No, no, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm I'm going to be as vague as possible. I'm not going to give any any specifics, but... But everybody does. You've watched it. You know, you've watched it long enough to know that there is a vision reoccurring throughout the series, um, the Opera House vision. Yep. And when the creators of that show put that put that in the show, they did not know what it meant. They did not know what it was gonna what it was gonna lead to. But every season, they kind of add more to it until at the very end. It just gets all wrapped up nice and neat in a little in a little package, and it's clear that they didn't know it was going to lead to that. But the illusion is fairly uh, foolproof. It feels very cohesive and complete. It feels like a like an arc that is that is finished. And so I think that that game masters can feel comfortable doing that if they commit to not deceiving the players or not not deceiving the players but not um shortchanging the players and having that prophecy lead to something meaningful how do you mean shortchanging have you ever played in a game where that happened um a little bit uh yeah to some extent i i call out some names man no (laughs) right here well okay well we had we had a campaign uh once where we were we were led to believe that we were extremely important and that our actions were going to um really help the world and lead to some disasters not coming to pass but at the near the end of the campaign it turned out that essentially all we had done uh, was for naught and uh, you know we had been given this kind of this grim portent and uh, we had you know our, done our very best to at least uh, reduce the devastation that this apocalyptic event was going to was going to bring about, but we we couldn't, and we were so upset when this happened that the dungeon master actually put a time machine in the campaign so we could go back and stop it for real because we were visibly upset about it. And so it all kind of ended up feeling very like hackneyed and not. 
not like an like a complete arc that had been finished yeah. and and and, and yeah. carried out neatly. You know, I don't, I don't feel better failing than than having the, the time machine. <laughs> the time machine, yeah. exactly. It's like we had already accepted the fact that we had failed. We're upset about it. Don't don't put a time machine in there. Are you sure your game wasn't produced by J.J. Ambert and <laughs> set on an island? It was it was very lost, Parker. It was very lost. <laughs> you would have lo- you would have loved it. I love Lost. Oh, I love Lost so much. <clears throat> and you know, it, it was not a bad campaign. It did not. You know, it was fun for the most part, but that aspect of the campaign fell very short for us. And so I I think if you're going to throw something like a prophecy or an omen, make your players feel like they are, you know, part of fate, you know, part of a a great destiny of the world. um, Mm. Give that the attention it deserves. That brings us to the difference between a prophecy and a vision. Okay. Because, like, in the Cersaline game, you know, I don't want to give up too much, but what you're, what uh, Orin Bramble is experiencing are visions. Yes. And, and I think visions are easy. They're way easier than prophecy. Hell, you could oh, you see this guy playing ping pong. Oh, my God, what does it mean? I don't know. I'll figure it out next week. I don't care. But, but a prophecy, I mean, that, would you think that that is something that you need written out, like, as its own story before you run the game? As in something that needs to be a, like planned out, like a roadmap, before you even start the game. I don't know. What do you think, Alex? I, I have a hard time wanting to tie a prophecy in, into any of the of the of the players in particular. Yeah. Because then then you run the risk of either making you know perhaps one player you yeah. know more important than the rest. Ostracizing. Or, yeah. Or, or or like or like like you were saying, Matt. Just you know you you you're building them up to potentially fail because. You know, uh, you don't want you don't want it to be a done deal that they'll, they'll succeed. Otherwise, otherwise, there's no risk. Right. So, you know, there, there has to be a chance of failure. I think I think the brilliance of what they did in Horde of the Dragon Queen was, you know, you know, you know, there's an apocalypse coming, and you, and you know that there's this um, that this is the place to go to begin this you know the search to try and stop it. it doesn't say you're going to be the one to stop it. it. Doesn't say that you know the oh you're the only ones looking for it. it doesn't say that you know. Um, that if you you know if you do X Y or Z, it'll either succeed or fail. But it it's a good way to kind of uh, get the to get the, the the characters sort of you know on on the right track to start with. And I think that you know so, uh, you know someone someone said that uh, one of the only times it's it's appropriate to railroad the characters is just before the game starts. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you know, if you're starting yeah if you're starting a game where you say okay you're on a you're on a cart. The ho- there's no horses. You're going down the steep hill a, toward, towards the edge of a cliff. What do you do? You know, you've, you've, <laughs> you start off with the hard railroad, but then poof. absolutely. And I, th- I think you know that's that's really smart of a really smart technique of you know having the tracks there at first for the train to be on, but then the tracks kind of slowly fall away, and they can you know kind of go in, in whatever direction they choose. But um, yeah, kind of having having a, a prophecy that doesn't necessarily pertain to the party specifically uh, is a really good way to get them motivated, um, you know, and having them think about, you know, what are the things that are important to my character and how would this prophecy either coming to pass or not coming to pass affect those things that are important to my character? Also, you know, don't 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 be so set in your ways. Like, keep an open mind. If you throw out for the you know a, a prophecy for three sessions you can start to think it's okay to start to think like hey what if you know this word doesn't mean exactly 
what it is uh, what it is physically yeah like what if it means something metaphorically and like really adjust it to tailor to your game to your players and to yourself because if if it doesn't fit then it's just going to make the game worse yeah and i i definitely have some experience with that in you know establishing some things like not necessarily hard and fast prophecies but the sort of the mythology of the world or the way that that gods interact with the world and stuff like that and sort of shifting that later on in the campaign to better fit with the direction that the campaign went on you can do that without breaking the campaign and without uh you know sort of making your players angry with you because it can make sense you know it's it's like the in a you know return of the jedi luke is like you know you, you told me my father was dead you told me darth vader killed him and obi-wan's like well he did in a way and you're like oh man screw you that's not even you know <laughs> it's like you can you can kind of do stuff like that though and kind of twist the truth a little bit and so you can do the same thing with prophecies where you just you kind of twist them a little bit and they still they still work but they don't necessarily mean the same thing that the players thought they did and and again you know you can let the 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 players do a lot of the heavy lifting you know by keeping something very symbolic vague or or just sort of surreal you know humans are are, they they love you know looking for patterns and so they're going to be kind of looking for things that fit what their imagination says the prophecy means and so they're likely to find these things and then you as a you as a gm can just kind of sit back when they say oh you know what this means and then and then they come up with something you and you're like oh, yeah all right you're like taking notes you're like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right the, the number of times good. the number of times i've done that is just staggering where they're i'm like hmm, yeah that could be true and i'm like holy shit that's amazing that's exactly what it is <laughs> it, it, it's true now Oh, did it? Joke. Yeah, I made a joke about writing on a well. I said, it, you know, there's some red uh, writing on this opening in the ground, and it says, free hugs. And everyone's like, ha, ha, ha. And then one of the players is like, no, no, what if it means something else? And then it's like, oh. uh, yeah, and I start, like, scrawling this bunch of stuff that he's saying. Like, no, it's a name of a dwarf that went mad. And it's yeah, like, hey. the, the free Uggs, the dwarven warlord, he went mad. Yeah, I, that was... I. His name is Freugs? Freugs, sorry, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, that's so, I love that kind of stuff. It's so yeah. awesome, so awesome. Collaboration, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and what you're what you're saying there, Alex, you know, that let the players do the heavy lifting. Oh my gosh, that's so true, and so many game masters could stand to... Uh, to abide by that and, and, and trust their players a little bit more to do more of the heavy lifting and make their jobs a little bit easier because being a game master is, is already a lot of work, you know, and, and yeah. letting your players sort of make decisions like that unknowingly. They don't know that they're making those decisions. They're just putting it out there is, um, you know, a good way to take some of that strain off of yourself and allow your players the uh, the ability to contribute. And it's win-win. I mean, you know, you as a GM look clever. They as, they as players feel clever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, the <laughs> thing is, is, is pl- people love being right. Like, if I go, if I go, I bet this NPC is going to betray us, and then they do, I take so much pleasure in putting a crossbow bolt in their face. You know, I just, I'm just like, I knew it. I, I called it, it from the get-go that you were going to betray us. And who knows if that NPC pc was intended to betray us or if the dungeon master said yeah it'd be cool if they betray if he betrayed them uh just let go of the wheel man yeah <laughs> stop trying to control everything man just let go exactly we put a, we put way too much on our plates as gms yeah period and that's why it's 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 tough to to hear about 
D, uh, DMs and GMs who, who say, you know, I've, I've written this amazing campaign and the players have just trashed it. And it's like, you know, you can only blame the players so much for that. A lot of it is your outlook and your and your unwillingness to, to let things deviate from, from the path that you've chosen. And so f- for me, my like modus operandi is just don't make a path anymore. Just put the tracks down as you go you know like uh, it's like a uh, uh, tim carney from tabletop terrace says you know you're on the minecart and you're building the track as you're going like that is that is my go-to <laughs> method of, of dungeon mastering at in this point in my life you know I, 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 I tend to think of the gm you know the, the players more as cats and the gm has the like, laser pointer and he's yeah. just, like, <laughs> waving the little dot around <laughs> <laughs> this is my preparation it's one triple a battery <laughs> <laughs> and then i put on some tv sit on the couch and just wave that laser pointer back and forth you know if you if you ever, if you ever get stumped as a dm just just you know throw throw a dead body in front of him with a cryptic note and yep. let him go yep exactly my, you don't have to plan anything <laughs> my old brother-in-law was kind of a chubby guy and one time i walked into the backyard and he was like and i asked him what he was doing and he said oh i'm walking the dog and i look out and he's holding a laser pointer running the dog around the yard <laughs> <laughs> and he's and he's got a glass of wine in his hand. He's just drinking the glass of wine. That dude knew what was up. That's awesome. He did. <laughs> he really did. He's from the Northwest, you know. You know he's smart. When oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Matt, you wanted to bring something up, kind of uh, to, to throw something into the mix of this eerie omens topic. And it's something that we talked about in our world-building panel yeah, yeah. at Brigade Con. So I'm going to just throw it to you. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, well, I, I, something that I threw into the, the little bag of snack mix we got going here is the 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 idea or the concept of you know uh, moons and constellations and just celestial bodies in general in your game world and it is something that i have only recently like even thought about uh with my game worlds and that is that's weird to me because I'm such a fan of science fiction and Star Wars and, you know, just, you know, space operas and space fantasies where there's, you know, three moons and two stars and, uh, you know, there's a crazy amount of, uh, you know, stars in the night sky and constellations that represent the gods and things like that. And I've, I've only recently started thinking about that. And so I wanted to kind of bring it to you guys. And we talked about this briefly during the Brigade Con panel, but like, how do like constellations and the you know the the alignment of the planets and things like that do those play into your campaign in a similar fashion to like an omen or or a prophecy would i see and mine mine don't so be prepared gothenog because this is coming at you but before it does uh Mine, I'm in the same boat as you are, Matt, where I'm just starting to really think about it. You right. know, there, I've known for a long time that in this world that I've made, I want there to be three moons. I don't know why. I don't know what, the, what they look like. I don't know what they represent. And I'm just now getting to the point where it's like, bro, it's time to buckle down and start right. figuring out what this, what these do. What do they mean other than uh, celestial bodies trapped in a gravitational pull? Because that's boring as hell in a fantasy D&D game. Yeah. So... Captain, it's <laughs> oh. all you. Well, well, sure. I mean, it, you know, the the moon in our in our world has played a, a big part in a lot of mythology. You know, the most notable of which, obviously, is like the werewolf. You know, the uh, changes of the full moon. So, yeah, having having moons have certain powers and so forth is definitely a, a great tool you can use. Um, it can be used to set uh, set timetables, like you know, uh, uh, if you give the 
the characters in Omen or a prophecy that that something has to be completed by the rising of of this moon or but before this particular alignment. You, mm. know, you, you can really you can really build in a, a sort of um, you know a, a sort of countdown timer, which can really add a lot of excitement and and uh, thrill to the game because now they're watching these moons every every night rise and seeing the, the alignment getting closer and closer and it's like it's a black know, man. Yeah. Get, you know, uh, another one that's been used to great effect uh, is the uh, the you know the eclipse. Um, yeah, one of the one of the most notable ones was was really good was in uh, Lady Hawk, uh, one of my favorite movies. Oh yeah, and uh, where. You know uh, the the two pe- the, the two the two of the main characters in it are cursed. Uh, they they were lovers, and and um, during during the uh, uh, during the day, uh, he was cursed to be uh, uh, sorry. She was cursed to be a hawk, and at night he was cursed to be a wolf. And they could they could never be together because they would they would transition at at you know dawn and dusk. Right. And uh, um, I'm taking all these like, notes of what movies I need to watch after this freaking. <laughs> oh, have you ne- have you never seen Lady Hawk, Parker? See, no. Oh man, you're gonna love the I, soundtrack, dude. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. be shamed in the comments. The soundtrack <laughs> is awesome. I mean, just 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 the just the opening scene with Matthew Broderick is 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 one of my favorite. Oh yeah, scenes. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Escaping from the Dungeons of Aquil. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Um, but yeah, I mean, constellations I haven't really done as much with, and it really would be a good thing to get into, you know. Where um, I don't know, it, it seems like players don't often think of the stars. They yeah, don't tend to think of them uh, in terms of in terms of their imaginations of the game. You know, so I, I I do try to include things like the phase of the moon in in, in my descriptions of what's going on, but I've rarely done anything with with the stars or or the appearance of a comet. I did have an idea for a really cool uh, Call of Cthulhu campaign. I know Call of Cthulhu and campaign don't really go together as well, but uh, <laughs> the, but it was basically the, the astronomers being being baffled by the sudden disappearance of stars. You know, seemingly at random, stars were just like you know, just disappearing, not exploding, not you know, not being obscured by dust, just seem, seeming to just gone. And uh, you know, I think something like that could be again very. Uh, very dramatic, especially in a fantasy world with with gods, because um, wasn't it in the? I think they did that really well in the uh, in the Dragonlance. Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. Yeah, uh, I, it's been a long time since I played, but wasn't it wasn't the case where when when uh, when 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 the god returned to Ur, returned to Kryn, uh the stars their stars disappeared from the sky. Yeah, yeah. Like so it's basically like they look up and they see like the good god is gone and the bad god is gone, and it's basically like oh they're they're back on the on the world. They're walking around yeah, and doing yeah, yeah. stuff, and so it's like a you know, and it hadn't happened for you know centuries that the the, con- the stars had dropped. But it was it's just kind of a cool way to represent that. What you said, Gothnog, about the uh, you know just describing it in your setting dressing kind of stuff. You know, they fit together because if you tell one of your players, "Hey, you look up and you see the constellation is missing," and you know that that's because a god is now walking on you know the material plane, it's not going to be as cool. Your your characters, your players are not going to get that kind of explosion effect if you hadn't talked about the constellations before that point exactly i mean just include stuff in your setting dressing and then you know be a little little bit repetitive 
And then yeah. when that stuff changes, your players are going to go bonkers and they're going to be Wait, like, no, GM, I had it in my notes. The death constellation was there. And you'll be like, yes, yes. It was, but not anymore. Yeah. I mean, it, it's weird that I don't include more moon and, and star stuff in my campaign worlds because I, I grew up reading those Dragonlance books and just absolutely fell in love with the world and the characters and stuff. And one of the big thing, the other thing, too, is the the different moons representing the different alignments. You know, you have a you have a moon for for neutrality, a moon for good, and a moon for evil. And depending on the position of those moons and their orbits and stuff, like it could lend evil spellcasters more power or or good spellcasters more power. And the colors of the moons kind of tie into the color of the wizard's robes. And if you see a red robed wizard, you know that he's neutral. And, and, you know, when, when, uh, when the character of Raislin gets his black robes, it's like such a huge deal because like you were saying, Barker, it's that precedent is set there where, you know, the black moon is the evil moon and the, the black robe wizards are the ones who have, who have turned to the, the darker arts, you know? And, um, I think another good example of uh, using the celestial bodies in a really effective way is the movie The Dark Crystal, where mm. the they're awaiting the what? Oh my God, Barker! I know. Were you asleep for the last thirty years? What the hell, man? I'm only twenty eight. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. Um, oh. So, <laughs> Dark Crystal. So they're going to mute myself. After it'll, it'll just, just be you guys just <laughs> talking about awesome movies cards. that Barker has. This is the <laughs> movies that Barker hasn't seen podcast. Welcome everybody. Uh, no, but in the Dark Crystal, the there is literally an instant where they can save the world. And it's during the, the conjunction when all the planets line up and they can heal that, the, the shattered crystal. And it's literally a ticking clock for the, for the heroes in the movie. They are looking up in the sky and they're seeing the planets moving closer and closer together for the, for the great conjunction. And the movie keeps doing the movie keeps cutting to those planets getting closer and closer and the and the heroes are keep looking up into the sky and it's it's just this it's so effective in the movie to kind of illustrate that that countdown you know you mentioned this Gothnog in the uh, in the brigade con video mm -hmm. but I'm definitely going to mention it again it's black yeah the, yep <clears throat> that is a, a great countdown yeah and that, that that's another great one too and I was I was going to mention that where um, we could have a world that was literally in, in total darkness for a period of time, uh, you know, based on the based on their moons or, or if if the planet itself is a moon. Um, but I, I think going back to, I, I was trying to think about why I don't do some of these things. I think for me, some of it has to do with because I, I'm essentially playing the, the, running the same world I've run for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of established this world. You know, a long time ago, uh, back when I really wasn't thinking in those terms, and so it's 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 sort of you know pedestrian from the standpoint of, of celestial bodies. So, you know, it'd be weird to kind of introduce another moon now or something like that. I can't. Yeah. A lot of this stuff has to be introduced at you know at world creation, let's say. Yeah. So you know you you know you can't just suddenly make these these big changes. Uh, you know, once you've established a world, so you kind of you really want. That's why you really want to take the time to set it up ahead of time. Saying, okay, well, what you know, do I want the moons to have, have meaning? How many do I want? You know, do I want some celestial body that you know that essentially blocks out the sun for you know for four days um, entirely? Right. You know that sort of thing. So you can, um, but it's got to be set up ahead of time, and, and that kind of ties into 
you know, once you've established the setting, then by changing it, you can really ramp up the, the tension or the, the stakes, you know, yeah. when stars disappear or yeah. a conjunction is supposed to happen, doesn't happen, that sort of thing. Right. Um, it's difficult to say, oh, you guys see a comet in the sky without it being ham-fisted. Right. Especially because, you know, your players are trained to say, ooh, what does it do? Uh, you know, what? how many pluses can I get on this sword, <laughs> you know, if I find the comet? What enemy is going to come out of it? And uh, a really solid reference that I'm going to throw out there is um, in the Song of Ice and Fire series. Yeah. In the Game of Thrones, there's a red comet. It's called the Red Messenger or the Red Sword. The cool thing about it is you see the Red Comet through the eyes of a few different characters. And they all believe it means a different thing. They exactly. all say, oh, it's a red comet. It means I'm going to take over Westeros. Oh, it's a red comet. It means, you know, I'm going to do, you know, it's just all <laughs> completely different. And that is so dope. Yeah. That if you can put something like that in your Pathfinder game and, and you can you can slide that in and show that how different cultures believe it means completely different things. You've succeeded at setting dressing in my Yeah, opinion. absolutely. Yeah, and I was actually, it's funny you mentioned that, Barker. I was going to bring up that exact thing where, you know, with the Red Comet, where some people think it, it's it's a it's a bloody comet. It means that yep. war is happening, and you know the uh, the the priestess of uh, of Relor thinks that it's a a, fi- a comet of fire, and that it means that you know the 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 Lord of Fire is going to be returning and stuff like that. And you know it 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 just means completely different things across this world. And uh, I think that, like you said, it just it adds so much to the world, and 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 really illustrates in a tangible way how diverse the different cultures are and the different perspectives are so uh, what, what about like uh, kind of bring it down to a more personal level what about small kind of dark omens for you know we've been talking a lot on uh, a lot about large scale events yeah, yeah. But, but what what about you know simple small omens that, that you can kind of drop around the that's a good the, question the, the yeah characters. i mean that's it's good little <laughs> things like that like here's a here's another in-game example for you barker your character of dice in the provokers yeah. game uh last session dropped his uh, his d20 his d20 and it landed on the one and your character dice picked it up looked at the one kind of got a strange sort of solemn almost accepting look on his face and then tucked the dice back away and that you know i don't know what that means uh and none of the viewers know what that means only you know what that means maybe i don't know if you know what it means <laughs> maybe. uh but that right there is a great example of what alex is pointing out of the 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 personal like omens or like you know the character finishes their tea looks down at the tea leaves makes a lo- you know sets their face kind of grimly and then sets the cup down you know they see something in the leaves that's like oh this ain't good you know it's you're right it's difficult to to put in an omen in i mean i keep using D as an example but any rpg especially those that are fantasy without making them lead into an end of the world scenario or yeah. like a, you have to destroy this ring in the fires of Mount doom scenario. Like, I mean, Alex right now, what's an example of a time where you've belittled, where you've taken an omen and you've made it smaller to fit in a, this omen says that you will get in a bar fight at the tavern type of thing. <laughs> you will find a quarter on the street. Yeah. I've, I've, done some, I've done some really fun sort of, of, I haven't done these in a while, but just, you know, really fun omens uh, 
to to people, and and I'm a big fan of, of the of the raving lunatic for those because yeah. you know uh, the the party would come into a new town, walking down the street, you know maybe it's a little quiet, it's dark or something like that, and all and all of a sudden some guy will just like run out of the alley and and, and grab one of the one of the, one of the the PCs and say, I see blood, I see blood on you. It won't wash off, you know, and he's kind of like <laughs> starts rubbing him or something like that. <laughs> Beware, the two foot man, you know, and he just like runs off, you know, <laughs> raving or something. <laughs> and maybe it means something, maybe it doesn't. The point is that that now that another player has to sit and think about, oh, holy shit, what, what the hell was that all know? about? <laughs> yeah. Well, and knowing your typical D and D player, they will absolutely obsess over it. Exactly. So you know they're, they're gonna. You That's know. the quest. <laughs> no, Guys, we no. gotta drop everything we're doing and find out what the hell that guy was talking about. Yeah, you gotta be careful using that because if if you already ha- if they're already on an adventure that you have sort of like written out, you've got yeah. notes, you know everything's going well. You don't want to throw in something like that because it you know it'll it'll just send them off in some place. That's a to, that is a great example of a. Uh, Oh man, what are they called? It's a way to throw something at your players when you feel the momentum slacking a little bit. There I use slack sparker. If yeah. you if you feel like if you feel like the uh, the party is coming to a place where they're looking for something else to do, you look at your little list of interludes or or you know thing random little bits that you can kind of throw at the players and it's you know the crazy guy comes up to him and says he's from the future and that he you know he's seen them all die in a fire or you know they 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 uh you know come across a a, a child who who drops a note for them or something like that you know you, you can use fire. little omens like that uh in that way where it's all of a sudden Oh, the momentum is really kind of dragging here. They're not really going in the direction I envisioned, so I'm going to throw something at them here, and and something like that is certainly going to grab their attention. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, set something on fire whenever anybody's bored. You know, light something <laughs> on fire. <And> not literally. <laughs> depends, but you know, well, sometimes maybe, maybe it's important. Never rule it out. Well, yeah. I mean, if if uh, especially if they go off in a direction that you hadn't planned on, you know, um, it, you know, oh. I, I, you know, you might drop a rumor about a city or a town somewhere, and uh, oh, let's go here. So it's like, oh shit, I haven't, I haven't read anything up about that. Uh, <laughs> there's a body in the road. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta buy yourself some time now. So <laughs> exactly, you come, upon, you come upon a corpse. He's he's he's, he's holding a uh, a small figurine. That is how uh, literally. That is how literally almost every session of Call of Cthulhu I've ever ran has started. You, you find a body in the road, and he's holding a figurine. It's it's just my go-to Call of Cthulhu thing. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's take a question from an audience member on our Facebook page, which is at facebook.com/slash/rollupanddie. Uh, you can uh, click like if you feel so inclined, and uh, make us feel better about ourselves. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I like kind of this idea. Uh, this comes from Nathan. Maybe not a question, but it would be a good point of discussion that foreshadowing can occur in a number of different ways. Weather, lighting, mood, all of these things can offer a form of foreshadowing to your PCs. We just talked about this we did. in the Provoker's chat uh, that you know we just had last night where Tim was wondering how to make his world feel more evil. Same philosophy – in that if you take weather and if you start making it rain every single day and then you make it stop, um, it's not going to be noticed. But if you make it rain every single day 
and you make them roll checks to see if they get their boots out of the mud. You tell them how dirty they are because of the mud and the muck that they're stepping through every single day. You give one of them a, a cold or a flu because of the rain, and then they step out of a building and all of a sudden the sun is shining. That is going to change their whole perspective on yeah. the setting. And if you – I mean I think that's a great place to throw in weather or lightning storms, something like that as an omen itself, seeing a, a, you know, a storm on the horizon. Yeah, especially uh, you know, going along with the – I was talking earlier about I need to be better about you know, including the celestial bodies in my uh – in my campaigns, weather is something I've been focusing on. You know, I, I, I always pick like one or two things I want to focus on getting better at. And uh, weather is one of those things right now. And, uh, uh, you know, using weather as a as a way to um, convey a tone is a really easy go-to way to do that. If you if you want your players to feel miserable and cold, absolutely make it rain and describe how the, the water is getting in their boots and soaking through their cloaks and making them just absolutely miserable and describing how, you know, the hottest fire is not going to warm you tonight. It is it is that cold and miserable. And I think, you know, using that to both convey a tone and also if you're trying to do something ominous, if you're trying to convey an, an omen, you know, the storm on the horizon or the, the thunder booming in the distance, you know, to uh, to sort of you know, illustrate to the players, you know, there's a there's a battle going on, you hear thunder rolling in the distance, you know, things like that is a really easy and effective way to do that because everyone knows weather. You know, everyone knows what, what weather denotes and, and what different temperatures mean and, and things like that. So it's it's almost universal. What's your what's the best weather for a dark omen? <sighs> the best weather for a dark omen? Honestly, like just just pouring rain. Just dark cold sort of uh, the kind of rain that has a little bit of ice in it so that if it hits your face it's it's cutting you it feels like it's slicing at your face um because snow to me yes it's cold but snow is a little bit more pleasant it's it's light and it's fluffy but if you get some sort of sleet going in there that's that's where it's at. that's where it's at fog is another good one too yes uh, uh, because oh, especially yeah. the, the cool thing about fog is, especially at night is is that you know you literally cannot see What's on? What's going on around you? You can hear, you, but you can hear sounds really, really well. And if you can convey that in a role-playing game, you can, you can really make the oh the, yeah the, the people the, you know the, the player characters paranoid. Yeah. You know because you can you can um, when you're in really dense fog at night, the, the sounds are just so sharp because of the moisture in there. And then, uh, but you but you can only see maybe you know five feet away, so you hear sounds moving around you. You, see, you know you might catch a glimpse of a dark shape moving that sort of thing. So you can really you know, ramp up, ramp up tension. I'm not sure, not sure it qualifies as prophetic, but it's certainly great for mood building. Absolutely. And if you're, if you're in Ravenloft, you really don't want to be in the fog at all. (laughs) (laughs) I like both of your, uh, your examples. Thank you. Actually, I think I, I, I did, I kind (laughs) of disagree with you though, Matt. What? I'm a huge, I I know. (laughs) Hold the phone. (laughs) Stop the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a big snow guy when it comes to dark stories and uh, or, you know omens, things like that. But it can't just be snow. You have to have some wind in there. Oh yeah, absolutely. The wind in any weather, in my opinion, is the omen. And mm. I'm not talking about the crappy new version. All right, I'm talking about the old one. <laughs> this is for you, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's all for you. Well, yeah, there's been some. There's been some movies where it's been used to great effect. I mean, uh, you, ha- you have one. You have movies like The Shining, where oh, yeah. you know <clears throat> all that snow kind of creates this yeah, isolation. That's it's right. Definitely, definitely used for creating that kind of isolation. You can't go anywhere. You're stuck. Um, another one was uh, Dreamcatcher. Yes. Based on a based on a Stephen King story. Yeah. Is that and and that that one that Oscar? one you you, you, you no no. Um, Parker, have you ever seen a movie before? No, I've seen Dreamcatcher, <laughs> but there's another Kevin Costner movie that I always mix up with Dream. Dream. Is that the one with Tom Selleck in it? <laughs> I think I saw that on Lifetime last week. He's 28. He doesn't know who Tom. Selleck. Shut up. I have to figure out. Okay. All right, you got, you just you just keep talking, assholes. I'm gonna figure out what the hell I was talking about. All right, awesome. Uh, another another uh, Alex. Another thing. Going back to John mm-hmm. John Carpenter, the thing. Oh, the thing. Uh, yeah. You know, the weather plays a huge role in that. Where you know yeah. they they literally can't they can't leave. They're they're stuck yeah. in that insulation. Yeah, and, and again, another great uh, interpretation of of a Lovecraftian story. There. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, in one of my games not too long ago. Uh, this was this was before uh, the campaign. They, they were they were headed for the Tomb of Horrors, but they had to speak to one of the previous, the only surviving adventurer to come out of there. Oh, nice! Uh, and they were and they were they were in an insane asylum, and uh, of course they were going in winter time. So the, it was it was kind of a great kind of mood build up where they have to tr- you know head north through this this blizzard to to get to this um, this this insane asylum uh, on a mountainside called Iron Gate. And uh, to go visit this 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 last adventurer who went insane, um, just surviving the Tomb of Horrors. That's so awesome. Uh, she she had been a cleric, and and she she had she you know basically given up her her god and and <laughs> rejected them entirely for what for what they had let happen to her. So it was a pretty grim uh, uh, adventure. Yeah, but, that's uh, that's a really awesome way to illustrate to your players that they are about to get walk into a shit storm. Is oh yeah, the last person to walk out of it is entirely insane. So I have no idea what I was talking about. You're I'm talking rolling. about you were talking about Kevin Costner. I know. Well, I'm at his IMDb and I just can't figure out which movie I mixed up. Like I'm like it's not Frank <laughs> Cup. Field okay, of Field of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect World. Field of Dreams. Dragonfly. Uh, Yes, that's it. Oh, boom! Boom! Wait, you confused Dragonheart with Dreamcatcher? Dragonfly. Oh, Dragonfly. I thought you. Oh my God! I thought you were talking about Dragonheart. It's like, how is that possible? No way. And you know what? I've seen that movie. Yeah, that's good. That's good, Parker. I'm glad you've seen Dragonheart. Thanks. Welcome to the Dragonheart podcast, where we talk about the 1990s CGI dragon movie, Dragonheart, starring Sean Connery. It is approaching, uh, I almost said, it's approaching that time again. This is our first podcast. (laughs) It's approaching that time again, where we give you an idea that you can steal. Uh, So... I think we should come up with uh, an omen or a portent or some sort of uh, thing such as that and give the listeners, I don't know, something tangible that they can put inside of their game. I I was just going to say, I I had a cool idea that was inspired by um, something Alex said that I'd like to toss out there. No, so uh, what I was thinking is, uh, you know, Alex's idea of the, you know, using pitch black as an inspiration. And I, I like the idea of okay so you're in your game world 
and there's a there's an old an old legend, and this is something we haven't talked about yet in the podcast, but. You know, a prophecy, it can be something like an old legend of something that happened a long time ago that may happen again. And what about the idea of, you know, a thousand years ago, there was an event known as the the never-ending night when the sun went away for, for years and all of the things that live under the ground that fear the sunlight were allowed to belch forth from from the pits and the caves and roam freely across the land. And it was a time of great trouble and strife and darkness until the sun finally came back to us in our darkest hour. And hearing a legend like this, you know, the PCs assume, oh, it's some sort of magical thing or something like that. But then all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, an eclipse that lasts, you know, a couple of years or something like that. And all of a sudden the players are are thrown into this... um, you know, this complete and uh, chaotic turmoil uh, that would arise from, you know, a never-ending night in a fantasy world where several different types of monstrous creatures don't come up out of the Underdark because of that very reason. And I think foreshadowing that with a legend uh, would prove to be very effective. What do you guys think? I mean, it's also very. It's also going to be a very apocalyptic situation, too, yeah. because, you know, you know the 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 world will literally freeze <laughs> with, exactly without without, without the, the 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 sun. Um, another thing you could do too is leading up to it um, at night. You you might see this 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 you know circular dark patch as whatever celestial object is moving toward toward the sun. You know, so you'd see this this blackness sort of you know arcing across the sky every day. It's getting closer you know towards the uh, closer to the horizon where the sun is going to be coming up on a certain day. Yeah. So you can you could have that kind of countdown, you know, once they realize that the uh, that this prophecy or uh, um, or legend is actually true, that yeah. this, that this is that this is actually going to happen. So then, let me ask you guys this: What? How would you handle something like that? That I mean, the the heroes can't move planets. How how would you want your party? Um, or, you know, if you were in the party that was dealing with this, how would you deal with something that you could not stop? You could only do your best to prepare. Uh, you know, would you would that be something that was enjoyable as a player or would that be kind of grim? Personally, I would just keep going business as usual. Uh, you know, these people have quests for you guys and you look up in the sky and you see that that thing is moving closer. You look up in the sky and you know that in a matter of time, all the poop is going to go into the fan blades <laughs> and the fan blades are going to spread it all around your bedroom. Like, you know for a fact that that's going to happen, but all these other people, they don't. They still need people to protect their freaking uh, caravans. And, and so it, it's kind of a, a matter. And I feel like that's the only way that I would be able to foreshadow it. It's really just show, hey, hey, guys, this is coming. You know it's coming, um, but no one else will believe you. Because if I were to give it to, I don't know, the town crazy who says, oh, darkness is coming into the world, then all my players are going to be like, let's arm ourselves, let's do this. We're going to kill that planet. And so there's nothing more terrifying. We're going to cast Hellball on the moon. (laughs) Nothing more scary than impending doom, I think. Well, especially one that you can't, you know, you can't prevent. Exactly. I mean, yeah. That, that that one is literally a game changer because you're going to be transitioning from a regular, you know, typical fantasy campaign into, you know, an apocalyptic one, 
where um, you know the world is going to be dying, and and, and you know demonic and and under otherworldly forces are going to be loosed on the world, and all these civilizations will be falling and and fighting for resources. I mean, it, it's 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 going to be it's going to turn really really dark very quickly. Yeah, I mean, literally and figuratively. <laughs> well, and you know, now that I think about it, I initially was like, oh, that's a really cool idea, and then I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm pretty sure that the Savage World setting Evernight is exactly what I just described. So, <laughs> <laughs> so never never mind. Way to go, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so steal the idea that we stole. Well, you could shorten it too. You could, you know, it doesn't have to be years. It could be, you know, four days. Exactly. During that time, you know, uh, there there are these you know forces that generally live underground planning, you know, a great offensive during this time. You know, it might just be you helping to warn people or fortify a, a small city or town. You know, it could be. It, it, you could have local effects, and and that's yeah. what the players have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And I was I was totally going to say like. You know, if if the players are able to prepare, then absolutely, like the you know, what the drow and the and the duergar or you know, or mind flayers, whatever you have living underground in your in your world, would totally be aware of the coming eclipse and just be like, oh man, this is going to be awesome! I cannot <laughs> wait for this eclipse. You know, and so <laughs> and so. Um, <laughs> I, I like the idea of it being sort of a, sh- you know, maybe a week long thing um, where the forces of evil are just really going to take advantage of that week and just do everything they can to uh, gain a foothold uh, in the world of the light if they can. I dig that so deep. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it so deep. I'm in the underdark, man. Damn straight. I'm waiting for the eclipse. <laughs> So steal that idea. So steal that idea. Exactly. So I was like, I was like sitting here and I was like, I was like, that was a really cool idea. I was like, oh shit. You know what? I'm pretty sure that's a savage world setting. That That's the story of my life. I come up with these great ideas. I mentioned to someone. It's like, oh, that's just like blank. Yeah. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> All right, guys. So I have this idea. I think it's a pretty good idea. Okay. So you have the, the real world. It's actually not the real world. It's actually a digital representation <laughs> of the real shit. world after the machines took Holy over. shit. What are you <laughs> so real humans are living in a town called a town called Zion. It's a uh-huh. town. It's just uh-huh. a town. Uh-huh. <laughs> Your player, just one of them, not all of them. You got to ostracize the rest of them. Right. Screw those guys. Uh, is someone that you're going to call the one, and his name's going to be Neo because you can't think of a better name than just the word one rearranged <laughs> around. <laughs> Gold. Have a great day, everybody. I love it. We out, and we'll call it. We'll call it. The hard drive. No, let's yeah. I, let's come up with something. Uh, I rolled a die and it, uh-huh. a D six. I rolled my epi- Star Wars Episode One Fate die with red on one side and blue on the other. <laughs> that Watto rolls uh, against Qui Gon Jinn in the dumbest scene of all time. Oh, <laughs> that was my that was my Watto impression. <laughs> that was really good. I thought he was in here. Oh, you just you just. Mind tricks don't work on you. Way to ruin the best character in the freaking game. Way to railroad. What a railroader. What a railroad Uh, You could just see the DM being like, uh, yeah, um, yeah, mind tricks don't work on him. Why? They they just don't. Mind tricks don't work on Toydarians. What the hell's a Toydarian? I don't know. I just made them up. Uh, But I rolled a D6 and it landed on uh, Captain Gothnock. So you go ahead and start us off. Let's make something. How about... Uh, incorporating the idea of of uh, of actual, you know, um, not time travel, but but uh, 
again uh, kind of sending a message back to your to the to the to the party and uh how about it's one of the party members themselves who sends mm-hmm. it back warning of um of their own deaths you know, so you could, you could have you could maybe maybe find some sort of artifact or, or an item that allowed them to that allowed them to do this, that that they got wiped out and and uh, you know some kind of horrible event happened, and uh, uh, the the really neat thing about that is, is that they have the opportunity to change it so that you're not necessarily tied to, you know, that particular character surviving or anything because once uh, one you know just by the the this this kind of prophetic communication from from their future self essentially they have a, you know maybe maybe it comes to them in a dream you know from their from their future self let's say can i steal that part from me yeah yeah please the, the well here's the deal is if they meet themselves mm-hmm. they you know we've we've all seen doctor who you know <laughs> come on time is just going to rip apart and so they have to tell a street beggar this person they pay him money to tell the party that this is going to happen. So the idea of them walking through the street and then a street beggar telling them, you know, um, watch out for the old Fort Hill in Barrack. And then they look at him, what? And he just doesn't remember anything that he just said or something. Or maybe later, two episodes later, they're going to Barrack, which is a town, presumably. Maybe that might be a way to kind of foreshadow or kick it off. Like, hey, uh, maybe they'll meet a Fort Hill. You know, his last name is Fort Hill. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, I, I was going to say too, like, um, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily be coming back in a time machine, stepping out of the time no, machine, no. and saying, "Oh, hey, look out for the arrow," and then stepping back in and disappearing. But it'd be more like, uh, <laughs> "Here comes the arrow." Yeah, here it comes. Um, <laughs> I got here none too soon. Uh, but it, it, you know, it, it would be some sort of magical time travel. You know, maybe they, maybe they send messages back through, you know, the flame of a torch or the, uh, you know, the. The, the smoke coming out of a you know a, a I don't know a cooking pot or something like that you know they they or uh, you know through the the cawing of a crow or something like that you know they, they receive these portents from the future you know that are from themselves or they figure out later on in the campaign when they themselves have to they find whatever artifact or spell or or place allows them to do this and they think holy shit I got to go back and tell myself all the stuff I already told myself in order to keep the timeline from fracturing you know um, well, I think I that opens yeah, was, up a lot of possibilities. Of, yeah, I wasn't even necessarily thinking about physical time travel. I was just thinking like if uh, like you know the, this 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 last you know character is dying and he and he, he has access to this. Uh, to this relic, yeah, and he just he can he as he's dying he he sends this message back to himself, you know, warning of of this impending event, and so um, now he has he has the knowledge and and any changes he makes from that point on, essentially have changed that future. So yeah. it's it's not like he you know it's not like there's going to be any kind of of you know time issues there necessarily. Yeah, I like so that. The, so he, um, and and even if they put in put in names of places like the places not to go, for example. It'd be, it'd be kind of cool to maybe you know because different places can have different names depending on who's talking about it, you know like this place is called this in a different language, so they oh, they, yeah. they they end up in this town you know and like well we'll take Barrack you know it's like well we're not going to go to Barrack that's for sure, and then they get to this town of 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 
it's ostrich true. or something like that. It's, it's like Barrick. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the dwarves call it Barrick. Yeah, you're like, oh, oh no! <laughs> it's the one place we weren't supposed to go. You know, or or they say, uh, you know, or that street beggar or anybody says, you know, don't go to old Barrick, and they like, oh, we're not, we're not going to Barrick. Hell no! They go to this other town, and you say, you know, this town used to be called Barrick before it was destroyed. Or, now it's called Old Barrick, you know, Everybody as slang. Yeah, they, they, the guy introduces you to his, his friend, the bartender, Old Barrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, when, uh, that's, when you, that's when you get called a railroader. It's it's funny, uh, Alex, that you mentioned the the character dying and, and sending a message back to himself through time because that is the exact plot of Mortal Kombat Nine, and I am not joking. Uh, the character of of Raiden, uh, everything just goes belly up in his timeline, and he sends a vision back to himself, and the vision is so vague and cryptic that the past Raiden doesn't quite know what to do with it and only through sort of going through the motions does he realize oh this was what I was not supposed to do and so he has to kind of uh, scramble to prevent the uh, the great you know apocalypse that transpired not the apocalypse but the great you know disaster that transpired later on and uh, so it's 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 something that you know uh, like I was saying earlier it's something that the players might have to piece together to make sense of you know Parker, it's your turn to come up with one that <laughs> hasn't been done yet. <laughs> so I, I, I did Evernight. Uh, Alex did Mortal Kombat 9. So now, Barker, what just, you, are you going to pick uh, really... Field of Dreams or another Kevin Costner movie? Or? Uh, Waterworld. <laughs> um, no, Actually, a water a Waterworld uh, uh, D&D setting would be kind of cool, I think. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, just putting cool. that out there. Awesome. Uh, Chris Perkins has a setting his uh, I think it's Ayamadra Ayamadra setting oh yeah that's kind of like a, I mean it's it not is a, a little bit world, it is a little bit hmm. I think it's like, it's like, like the opposite that. of a dark sun type thing where it's like just oceans and you can't it's hard to find land uh, for, I was just gonna say that uh, I was just impressed with Raiden's fighting ability because to be able to survive through nine Mortal Kombats <laughs> is absolutely impressive. And he was the last one to go, too. Okay, so uh, happy Friday, everybody. Thank you, every single person who tuned in to Roll Up and Die, your definitive RPG podcast. Uh, my name is Barker. My name is Matt. And my name is Alex. Godspeed. Rawr. Do we want to say anything special at the end? Because I can just cut that. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I think the I, Barker. I think the Godspeed rah, should be the the uh, <laughs> the calling card of roll up and die. Maybe maybe you just put some dice rolling in it, followed by the Wilhelm scream. Oh, here, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Here we go. Let's, here you go, Barker. Here you go, Barker. This show has been produced by Roll Up and Die and is copyright 2015. It is owned by all three of the primary hosts. The games, movies, and other properties mentioned in this show are the property of their respective owners. Stealing is wrong. You can find all three of the hosts on YouTube and other websites. Matt is at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice. Captain Gothnog is at youtube.com slash Captain Gothnog. And Barker is at www.beabettergamemaster.com. Listeners are free to use this show in any way, shape, or form as long as credit is provided to the Roll Up and Die podcast. Look for other releases of this show at www.beabettergamemaster.com or at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Have a fantastic day, and as always, happy gaming.